0: Or if they can do that, great. Good morning, and thank you for uh, giving me this opportunity to speak. I want to talk about, the, I think we are on the fifth of a series, which is um, The Son of Man Deals with Life. And Pastor was gracious enough to give me one of the toughest ones, Turmoil in lives sufferings uh, for most of us is very common. Uh, I, um, I hate to even ask, ask a raising of hands because if I were to, I have a feeling all of you would raise your hands because there had been a lot of sufferings in all of our lives. That's kind of commonality. I was nine years old when my younger brother died in my hands. He was five days old. He had uh, me- medical technology hadn't evolved that time, uh, advanced that time. In India, he had a hole in his palate, and everything he ate or drank went to his lungs, and he died. And as, the, as they were passing him on from one person to the other, he died in my hand. And I still wake up with dreams of my brother We lost a baby, uh, Lori and I, and so sufferings, uh, look at this moment, some of our dear friends are getting uh, ready to bury their 23-year-old son. uh, um, uh, Just Suffering, wherever you look, you are surrounded by sufferings, and sufferings have caused many people to even ask the question, why is there a good God who is not doing anything about our sufferings? Well, the easiest answer for me as a Christian is to look at the Lord Jesus Christ himself, who we would have imagined God the Lord, God the Father, would have answered his uh, request and granted him no suffering. But as as we just celebrated the Lord's Supper, we know he went to suffer. Suffering was the path that his own son had, which I assume is the same path that you and I have. So my question today is not why there is suffering. We all know suffering. My question today is how to deal with suffering. And we pick up uh, a latter part of the passage in the life of Christ, in the life of Lord Jesus Christ, from uh, Matthew chapters 26, as you see the verses on, on, the, on the PowerPoint, uh, verses 35 to 56. But I'm going to only focus on one particular scene, Let me set us in the context. The story begins with uh, the Lord on the night before he was about to die, meeting up with his disciples. This is the very last time all 12 disciples and the Lord are there, and he meets with them less than 18 hours before he dies, and he... Establishes a lot of things. If we put combine Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, he even washes their feet and introduces uh, Lord's Supper, as we see, and offers his body, a uh, bread and a wine, as a symbols of his body that is to be broken the, within the next 18 hours, and the blood that will be shed within the next uh, 18 hours for the sins of the people. And the disciples still don't get it. As a matter of fact, they are still debating who would be on his right in his glory and who would be on his left in his glory. And when the Lord says, One of you will betray me, they're still debating who would that be? Who would that be? Yeah? And so that's the context in which we are. And at the end of the Lord's Supper, this is uh, their celebration of Passover. They sing what's called as the Hallel songs, songs of ascent, which we have in our uh, psalms. They sing that song as they climb up to uh, the mount. In this particular case, they go to Gethsemane uh, Garden, where they uh, sit together. And this is where we are coming into the scene. So if you would turn with me to Matthew chapter 26. And we're going to pick up in verse um, 36, halfway through. Now I have a slightly different translation, more uh, in agreement with the text, and as well as a little bit contemporary. So read with me. You can either look in your own Bible or that is going to be on the table on the PowerPoint. When Jesus went to a place called Gethsemane with his disciples, now eleven of them are with them, Judas had already gone, he said to them, sit here, and he went, to, went away to pray. But he didn't go alone, he took Peter and, his, uh, and two sons of Zebedee, John and James, with him and began to grieve tremendously. He said to them, my heart is greatly grieved, even to the point of death. Remain here and stay awake with me. Then he went a little further, prostrated on the ground, some texts say with his face on the ground, and prayed, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. But again, not as I wish, but as you wish. He came back to his disciples and found them sleeping. He said to Peter, Are you not able to stay awake with me one hour? That's all the Lord asked Peter. Stay awake and pray so that you may not enter into temptation. Your spirit is willing, but your flesh is weak. Again, the Lord Jesus went out to pray. This is the second time, and he said, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away except by me drinking it, let your will come to pass. He came back to his disciples and saw them sleeping. Their eyes were shut with the heaviness of the sleep. Now They have had several cups of wine along with the Passover meal. And it is late at night, so you can see why their eyes are very heavy. And he left them and went to pray a third time and said again the same words. Now, if you remember the words, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, but again, not as I wish, but as you wish. Or, my father... If it is possible, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away except by drinking it, let your will come to pass. Then he came back to the disciples and said, Sleep the remaining time and rest. Behold, the hour is coming for the Son of Man will be handed over into the hands of the sinner. After a while he said to them, Arise, let us go. See, the betrayer is near. Okay? Now this is one of the horrific moments in the life of the Lord Jesus. He had instituted what we call Lord's Supper, but a preview, preview of what is going to happen to him the next day. His body is going to be hung on the cross, his blood is going to be shake, uh, shed, every drop of it. He's going to be nailed to the cross. He's going to be beaten. Now, he had known all along. In Ma- Ma- Mark chapter 10, verse uh, 48, he says, The Son of Man came for this particular reason, to lay down his life. Not to be served, but to serve and offer his life. He knew all along his mission. His mission was to go to the cross, and yet at this hour of final moments, he is grieved. He says, I am grieved greatly, tremendously, to the point of death. There's no way to describe what happens to me in the next few moments. I know the suffering. Now, that is a backside to the whole story. We see him suffering on the cross, which itself is painful. But there's an eternal painful that the Lord will face for the very first time and probably never again. Separation from the Father that he had known all his life. On the cross, for a brief time, he's going to be forsaken by the Father with whom he had total communion. So there's going to be physical suffering, There's going to be mental anguish. There's going to be mockery. His own disciples betraying and running away. And then the Father himself is going to abandon him on the cross. All that seeing yet to come, he is grieved tremendously. A moment that you and I cannot envision. Just for a moment, think with me. We are surrounded by men with our, our guns and saying, if you do not deny the Lord between now and 10 o'clock, we are going to kill you. Yeah? That's the kind of pain that he is, standing right there facing in the midst of his disciples. Right. The story continues. Aftermath of this prayer we just heard was that the betrayer comes. He kisses the Lord Jesus and betrays him. And then all the disciples scatter. One of them tries to defend the Lord by trying to chop his, uh, probably the opponent's neck, but he only gets the ear and the Lord puts it back rebukes him and saying, My father could have sent myriads of angels to defend me, but he had asked me to drink this cup, so I am going to drink it. Yeah? So he is facing one of the harshest things that a person can face, imminent death. And our question is, how does he handle it? And I want to talk about three ways that he handles it. Number one, as we see uh, in this slide and also in this passage, he seeks the help of his friends. Now that sounds like a bad thing to do, as you heard the story with me. Lev, one of them had already gone away to betray. The other, um, my math isn't so good, the seven or so are sleeping away from him three that he had handpicked, Peter, John, and James. James, uh, John is the one that he leaned on his breast, probably the youngest in the crowd, and he had taken them aside and says, stay with me an hour and pray with me. I am grieved. And yet he depends on their friends. Well, you ask the question why. There's an Old Testament yeah, historical precedent for it, He trusts his friends just as Job did. If you remember the story of Job, there's great suffering where he is tormented, but yet one of the first things that happens is that his three brothers, uh, three friends show up Eliphaz, Bildad, and so far they come. Now, again, very similar to the Lord's situation. Those friends were not very good friends to have. Most of them were saying to Job, you are suffering because you are evil. And Job says, no, I am not evil. I'm righteous, but yet God had allowed me to go through this suffering. They are the kind of friends you kind of wish you didn't have around you. But yet, you see, there is a command in the Bible, as you see it in Proverbs twice, wounds of a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. Now, we saw that in the Lord's own life, the, uh, Judas betrayed him with a kiss. You see, what this proverb is saying is, people who come and say flattering things about you, things that you like to hear, they may sound like a good friend, but in reality, they really aren't good friends. Because you see, they're not able to help you see your wrongs so that you can correct them. They don't love you enough to criticize you. I was just thinking right before I came up to preach, I love having my wife here in, whenever I preach, even though she makes a lot of faces She is also, (laughs) and I know I said something wrong as soon as her face goes in all different directions, yeah? But at the same time, she and my three sons, they've always been with me now that they're away from me. They would always say, but dad, what you said is not true. I really liked hearing that, even though it is painful to hear. As I'm driving home, well, not in Singapore, as we are going in Marty, and she says, or he, the boys say, Dad, you said this. That didn't happen that year. Or that story did not happen that way. Or that's not how I understood that passage. You see, a true friend could be trusted, even though they don't seem like people that you can trust. But an uh, enemy, on the other hand, gives you a lot of kisses. There's another proverb that talks about brothers, do not forsake your friend or the friend of your father. And do not go to your brother's house when disaster strikes you. Better a neighbor nearby than a brother far away. In India, we have this phrase called blood is thicker than water. Ah, you may have, I, by the shake of your heads, I realize that's a proverb here too. But there's something different about a brother and a, uh, and a friend, Brother is obligated to love you, so he's not going to tell you the truth. Now, I had no brothers. I had lost both my brothers at childhood. But I love my friends because the friends are able to correct me when they need to be corrected and are there when times of need. I remember many times in my life, even last week, there was an important decision that I needed to make And I called a friend of mine. We Skyped and discussed for an hour. And that meant a lot to me. And that's what this passage says. Do not forsake your friend. I do want to say one more thing. Friend of your father. We're at a generation we don't seem to think our father's friend has a lot of wisdom. The older I get, the more I realize older folks have lots of wisdom. They've done the same mistakes that we are right now making. Yeah, and that's why they have the wisdom to turn around and say, don't do that. That is not helpful. So the first thing that the Lord Jesus did is he sought the help of friends. What was the second thing that the Lord did? The second thing that the Lord did was to ask that the turmoil may be removed, right? Now you hear him three times pray, Lord, if it is your will, Father, if it is your will, let this cup go away from me. He knew that's the reason he came for. He repeatedly said, three times he said to the disciples, I'm going to go down to Jerusalem where they are going to betray me, beat me, kill me." And yet, at the last moment, the night before, he says, "Is there a second plan, Father? Is there an another way I don't have to drink this cup? I don't have to be separated from you? I don't have to be killed? Is there a second plan? But the Lord never answers him at this moment, so he says, but not my will, your will be done. But repeatedly he doesn't hesitate to ask. Again, he is following a principle that he learned from the Old Testament, Elijah. Elijah. If you remember the story of Elijah, there was famine, and he had uh, uh, um, called on the Baal's priest, and they had a showdown where they called on Baal all the time, all through the day. Baal never showed up. At the end, uh, Elijah brings down the fire with one simple prayer, but yet there is no rain. So he runs back and is praying for uh, rain. Well, he sends his his servant out to see, hey, is there any rain out there? By the way, he had told the king, your wheel's going to get stuck in the mud. But there is still dryness outside. So he tells his servant, go and see, is there any rain? Well, the servant comes back and says, no, there is no rain. So Elijah prays a second time and sends out the servant. He does it seven times, and finally the servant comes and says, Yeah, there's a little cloud the size of my hand. And Elijah outruns the king to tell the truth. And as you know, there was heavy rain. Yeah? The Lord Jesus knew there are times that you do pray. Now we know another story where um, uh, Paul, prays three times for a thorn in his flesh to be removed, and the Lord does not answer. So how do we pray? Matter I want to give a couple of principles. I want to start with one that says, when you pray, this is the Lord in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, do not keep on babbling like pagans. They think that they will be heard because of the many words. Do not be like them. For your Father knows, look at the words, What you need before you ask him. I'll give you a simple illustration. If my sons come and say, Dad, I'm hungry, what is for lunch? I would say, let's go to the kitchen and see what we can and take a peanut butter jelly sandwich or something for them. Because I know my sons need uh, food. Uh, they They need lunch. They need sustenance. But what if my son were to say, Dad, I really would like a Mercedes? My answer to him would be, I like one too. Yeah? I know that is not a need that he has. Yeah? Peanut butter and jelly sandwich, that is a need. That's a survival. Our Heavenly Father knows them. But you see, there are a lot of people that think if you speak a lot of words, and especially fancy words with thee and thou, Somehow the Lord hears us. That is not true. With the Lord, He hears. The matter of fact, there's another passage that says, "Don't be like the Pharisees. Stand in the marketplaces and street corners and pray, so that the people would see you and think what a great prayer warrior He is." Instead. Go into the secrets of your house and say your prayers quietly to the Father. The Father who hears them will answer them in publicly. Yeah? So how do we pray? Well, there are a couple of things I do want to talk about prayer. Number one is earnestly. That Luke 18 story is about a lady that goes to an unrighteous judge. This particular judge neither fears God nor fears people ruthless judge but this lady will not give up she went day after day after day and asked him "Lord, um, judge please listen to my case and finally the judge says I don't fear God I don't fear man but I'm tired of this nagging lady so I am going to listen to him Now, there is something about this prayer. This is not saying that you nag God to get your way. Remember, we already saw the Father already knows what you need. You don't give up. Like Elijah, you pray seven times. Like the Lord, you pray three times. Or like Paul, you pray three times. Or however times you come. I pray certain prayers. I have been praying for the longest time. My mom prayed for my grandfather's salvation for about 45 years. And at deathbed, he accepted the Lord. Yeah, That's the kind of prayer it's talking about. Not nagging the Lord. Just don't give up. Especially when it is a need that the Lord will provide. The second one is again the story in Luke chapter 9. It's about two men that went to pray in the temple. One looked at God and said, I am not a worthless sinner like this guy on my right. But the guy on the right would not even look up to heaven and said, please have mercy on me. Yeah? There is something about our prayer, something about our sermons. Many times when I hear sermons, I always think my wife really needs to hear that sermon. Yeah? We don't think it is for us. The sp- Bible speaks to us. The prayer is Lord. Start with me. Yeah, and it's a humble prayer, not to exalt ourselves, but to humble ourselves before the Lord. Thessalonians tells us to pray repeatedly. Pray without ceasing, meaning not that you had to pray 24 hours nonstop. What it means is just don't give up. Prayer should be not something you do only in the morning, right before lunch, and something you do at nighttime before you lie down. It's a daily life. When God puts somebody, um, every moment of our life, whenever God puts somebody in your heart, pray for that person. Whenever you think of a need, pray for that per- that need. Always pray. Because you see, our Father loves to hear our voices. Yeah, I, As a father, I know I have three sons. They are really smart, intelligent, and have all kinds of gadget, But getting to Getting them to speak to me, it's like pulling their teeth out. Yeah? It's just not that easy. This is when I wish I had daughters who speak a lot. Then I may wish that they'll be quiet for a while. <laughs> Our Heavenly Father loves to hear us talk to him. Say, Lord, this is what's bothering me. I don't know what the answer is, but I am going to speak. The first thing that the Lord did was to seek the help of the friends. Second thing that the Lord did is ask that the turmoil may be removed. That the third thing that the Lord did was finally to submit to the Lord's will, knowing God is in control and God is a loving Father. Right. As a matter of fact, the rest of the passages that I have listed in Hebrews five and in Philippians two says even Philippians uh, Hebrews says even though he was Son. He learned obedience by suffering, to, uh, submitting to suffering. He could have said, I know everything about o- obedience. I don't need to go to the cross to learn about obedience. But instead, he said, Father, you want me to go to the cross? I will go to the cross. I will learn what that obedience is. Philippians 2, though he existed in the form of God, did not consider equality with God something to grasp, Rather, he emptied himself, became human, and being found in humanity, he went to the death. Not death, death on the cross. Therefore, God exalted him. In, Philipp- in Hebrews 5, we do have a clue to did God answer Jesus' prayer or not. He says, if it is your will, remove this cup. And in Hebrews 5, it says, because of his piety... He was answered, yeah? The answer is twofold. First is, no, you can bypass the cross. You have to go to the cross. Two, I will raise you from the dead, right? Death will be removed from you. So the Lord had to go to the cross. That was the turmoil he had to face. But at the same time, God the Father will raise him from the dead. Now, the Lord Jesus learned this to submit to the Father's will from his own ancestor, David. If you remember the story of David, he had committed adultery with Bathsheba. As a result, they have a baby, and as the baby is born, it dies. Yeah? Now, for before it dies, for seven days, uh, you go home, when you go home, read this passage, beautiful story. For seven days, David put ashes on himself, prostrated on the ground, would not eat, would not take shower, nothing. He wanted to pray only to God to change his mind. Right? For seven days, all the wise people around him stood and wondered, why is he doing this? What are we going to do? They even said to him, get off the ground. It is very demeaning for a king to lay on the ground. But he says, no, I'm praying that my son's life would be spared. Interestingly, on the seventh day, the child is dead, and they come, and they're so afraid to say this to David, A, he will kill himself, or B, that he will kill them. Either way, they did not want to tell him. But he heard them whispering and said, is the baby dead? Yeah, and that's a strange question for him to ask, and they say, yes. And he says, okay, give me some food. And he takes a shower, gets up, and eats the food. And they wonder, why? They even ask him, why, when the child was living, you were tormenting yourself? Now that the child is dead, you are eating. And he says, I was hoping my God will have mercy on me and let the child live. But now he had taken the child to him. I can go to him, but the child cannot come to me so, I am getting up ready to eat and get, start on with, continue with life. The Lord Jesus learned that there are times you ask the Lord, uh, God the Father, for your turmoil to be removed. But when it fails, you submit, knowing He is in control, knowing that He loves you. We have this beautiful verse in, in, in Romans Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship persecution or famine, nakedness, danger or sword. Nothing. No in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. You see, regardless of what the suffering is, the last one that he mentions is sword. And when sword hits you, that's the end. Even the end doesn't separate you from the love of God. Yeah? And so even though you ask God to remove the turmoil, to remove the suffering when it doesn't remove, when he doesn't remove it, you surrender knowing he hasn't let you down. He still loves you, still cares for you, still has a wonderful plan. Only in eternity future you will understand what that plan is. So let me summarize. How did the Lord handle his turmoil? He sought the help of his friends. He asked for the removal of the turmoil and then he submitted to the turmoil knowing that God was in control and he is a loving father. How do we handle our turmoils the same three principles number one we seek the help of our good friends there is so much to be said about accountability and having good christians you can call on and surround yourself with in times of hardship number two we ask god for the removal of the turmoil there is nothing good about christians longing for suffering well if you ask for suffering you will get some Yeah, It's okay to ask God if it is possible let this suffering leave me. The Lord did. Others did. Paul did. The same we may ask. Number three we submit to the turmoil knowing God is in control that he is a loving father. You're all familiar with the term SOS. Webster Dictionary defines it as um, an internationally recognized signal of distress in radio core dot, 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 dash, 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 dot, 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 which is S-O-S, used especially by ships calling for help. This is how I look at Christian life. We don't have S-O-S. We have S-A-S. We seek the help of friends, we ask God the Father to remove the turmoil and then we surrender to his will knowing that he is a loving father. That's how the, father, uh, the Lord Jesus handled his turmoil. That's how we handle our turmoil. Seek the help of friends. Ask God for the removal of the turmoil. And when that doesn't happen, we surrender to his will knowing that he is a loving father and he is in control. Shall we pray? Our Father in heaven, we are grateful that the Lord Jesus was willing to suffer on our behalf. Through his suffering, we received redemption. Sometimes when suffering comes to our lives, we don't know why it is there, but we know, you know, we know You are in control. We know you love us far beyond our comprehension. Help us to seek the help of Christian friends. Help us to ask you for the removal of the turmoil. And when everything fails, help us to surrender, knowing that you are a loving Father and you are in control. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
1: I'm going to ask the music team to come and help us with the closing song? Let's do um, Greatest i Faithfulness. Okay, at this time, let me just, uh, as we prepare to sing a closing song, let me open up the altar. There might be some of us here who are going through times of uh, stress, turmoil, extreme stress. And as we've been taught today, let's seek the help of friends, friends who can pray with us, who can together with us ask God together and also ask for strength to submit if such turmoil doesn't uh, pass from us. Okay, So shall we just stand as we sing this closing song Great is Thy Faithfulness. The altar is open. If you like to have someone pray with you, um, please do come to the front. Uh, and as I end in uh, a closing prayer, uh, some of you might like just to, uh, to sit down and just reflect upon who are the friends that God has provided in our lives, uh, whose help we can seek. What are the prayers that we need to ask God for, for deliverance? And then what are the prayers that we need to have So, as to submit to what God has in store for us. So, let's pray together. Father, we give you thanks for your word to us this morning, the supreme example of our Lord, our Master, our Savior. He sought the help of his friends, he asked you for deliverance. But most important of all, he submitted to the will of a loving, a good, Heavenly Father. That too we want to practice in our own lives. So Lord, I pray you grant us help each one. In Jesus name. Amen.